Hello, BYWG Tribe. Here's a quick, less than one minute review of our supplement, program, and book of the month for August. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few extra minutes going into finer details, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for August is our newest premium formulation, Vitamin C Boost. The 10% discount code for the month is lowercase B-O-O-S-T-10. That's Boost 10. It is case sensitive. Our book of the month is The Serpent and the Butterfly, The Seven Laws of Healing by Dr. Ben Reeves. The program of the month is from our friend, the soul-inspired girl, Dr. Laura Foster. The program is called Reclaim Your Voice. And the 15% discount code for our listeners is capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G. Listen to the end for more specifics. All the links, discount codes, and special offers for the program, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes in Apple Podcasts, posted on social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer and I am your co-host. Today our guest is Lisa Wimberger, founder of the Neurosculpting Institute. I am so thankful that a mutual friend was able to connect us. So how are you today, Lisa? I'm doing so well. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you today. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to do an abbreviated bio because you have a, an immense fascinating bio that we're going to get to a little bit in our conversation. But Lisa is the founder of the Neurosculpting Institute. She holds a master's degree in education, a foundation certification in neuroleadership, and certificates in medical neuroscience, visual perception, and the brain, and neurobiology. She's the author of New Beliefs, New Brain, Free Yourself from Stress and Fear, and Neurosculpting, a whole brain approach to heal trauma, rewrite limiting beliefs and find wholeness as the founder of the neurosculpting modality lisa runs a private meditation practice in colorado teaching clients who suffer from stress disorders and she is a faculty member of kripala yoga and meditation center the law enforcement survival institute omega institute and 1440 multiversity wow a lot of big words in there lisa <laughs> there are a lot of big words but they're they really just mean simple things, I promise. That's right. So so I want you to flesh out your bio a little bit. Tell us your backstory, how you know how neurosculpting was developed, where the name came from, and, and I believe reading your mm -hmm. bigger bio, you, you got struck by lightning. So that's gotta be one Yes. Heck of a story. That plays into it. Yeah, it plays into it. Um let's see if I can recap this. So growing up as a child, um my go-to response to stress was always like freeze or, you know, hold your breath, that kind of response, um, which is normal. Uh, uh, lots of people choose freeze over fight and flee. Um, but when I was 15 and got hit by lightning, um, I got hit, uh, the lightning came out through the, the house I was standing against through the metal handle I was leaning on. And so it came out through the base of my spine. I started from a, a few weeks after that lightning strike, I started having uh, vasovagal grand mal seizures, which were undiagnosed for many, many years. Um, what ultimately ended up happening was after 15 years of having these seizures and um, having no real explanation for them, I had one in front of a doctor serendipitously at a doctor's appointment. 
And I woke up to, um, you know, him trying to resuscitate me. He had a needle of atropine that he was about to inject because my heart stopped. He told me I flatlined. Um, I was blue. Um, and he had asked if I had ever had this experience before. And to, to my experience, waking up from this was totally, you know, par for the course. This is what I've been doing since I was 15. So when I told him, and they sent me to the hospital, determined I wasn't epileptic, they said, you have vasovagal grand mal seizures, which is a very extreme form of vasovagal syncope. Um, all these big words thrown at me. And ultimately, they said the magic word, which was, this is induced and exacerbated by stress. Now, the other part of the backstory is I had been meditating since I was 12. I had no clue how I could have a stress disorder when I had been meditating almost my entire life. So these two things were so incongruent that I said I need to know more. So that's why I went on to study everything I could about my central nervous system, about neurobiology, about vasovagal syncope and cranial nerve 10 and all this stuff. What it came down to was um, I had a hyperactive vagus nerve probably exacerbated by this lightning strike. It was causing me profound freeze response and I needed to get out of this loop and stress was the culprit. So I understood from my um, courses that neuroplasticity could change even unconscious autonomic patterns. And because I believed this with a hundred percent of my soul, I knew I could apply this to my seizure response to stress. So I took my meditation practice and I ripped it apart. I backwards engineered it and I realized there's a lot missing. There were things, strategic components missing that could have spoken to my brain differently. There were things I could do with intention and strategy with my thoughts that would um, downregulate various parts of my brain, upregulate other parts, and actually prime my brain for a neuroplastic boost of belief so that what I was um, mentally meditating on would become more real to the brain. So I put a structure in place to mentally rehearse a different response to stress, the opposite of C's. I literally went with this process and rehearsed fighting, kicking, screaming, punching, anything that was not a seizure. And I would recreate those moments of seizure in my mind and rehearse like, like this was the biggest role I had ever been cast for. And after months and months of this kind of rehearsal, I was able to interrupt my first seizure with the exact response I had been rehearsing. And it was proof positive for me that, uh, this process was working, this, um, entrained, predisposed rehearsal process gifted me belief, neurological buy-in to these new stories I was practicing. And I interrupted my first seizure and I've had seizure halos maybe three times since in more than a decade, never had a seizure again. The interruption broke the pattern and I can literally feel a seizure halo coming and I can circumvent it with the just very simple thoughts that I had used in that same rehearsal. And so at that point, 
I really felt like I had saved my life. I, my seizure, my last three seizures were so bad that I almost couldn't resuscitate. And I knew if I had another one by myself with no one there to help me, I might not breathe again. So I had a fire and an urgency to find a solution, um, which creates a lot of buy-in. Let me tell you that kind of urgency helps you find your faith in, in lots of ways. And what ended up happening was I was in such service to this process that I quit my job immediately. And I said, I'm supposed to teach others in trauma, in crisis, in emotional crisis, or even physical. I need to teach others that this is possible, that healing, even the most gripping subconscious patterns is possible. And I, and I never looked back. I quit my job and, um, fought really hard to, to bring this unnamed thing to people against a lot of skepticism and disbelief. And then eventually after a couple of years, someone said, you know, you need a name for what you're doing because no one really knows what this is. And so that's, um, so I then called it neurosculpting. Um, and that's kind of the story. Man, there's so much to unpack there. So, so just going back to your bio, and I'm reading, and I, <clears throat> I noticed something interesting. Uh, you call it neurosculpting modality, um, and I, I didn't pick that up at first, as opposed to neurosculpting meditation. Is there a why, why define it as a modality as opposed to strictly a meditation? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, because it was unlike any meditation form I had ever studied. I'm trained in TM, Ascension, and, you know, closet studies of all sorts of other forms, and nothing ever was structured quite like this. It is, it has elements of hypnotherapy in terms of the structure and the induction. Um, but it also does things based on what I was learning in neuroscience, it does things very specifically with words and thoughts and focus that I had not experienced before in other meditations. Doesn't mean it's not out there, but I hadn't been exposed to that. So it felt like more than meditation. It felt like if I called it meditation also, um, people might expect to clear their mind. There's no clearing your mind in neurosculpting. There's directing your mind and having lots of thoughts and, and help, helping um, understand them. So there's a discovery component to it. There is a um, physical practice that one can derive from it. So there's a somatic component. And then, of course, in all of our neurosculpting classes, we are always talking about exercise and nutrition that will amplify neuroplasticity and these practices, um, and even um, uh, social uh, factors that go into it. So it is more than just a practice, it becomes a framework. And that's why I called it modality, because it's a framework for many facets of life, not just the practice. Right, 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 right. And the the concept that you, you've talked about so beautifully of neuroplasticity is, you know, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but it wasn't that many years ago when we didn't believe that the nervous system in the brain was neuroplastic. Now we have this and many other modalities that help the brain develop, heal, grow new nerve cells. And that concept alone is, is empowering, uh, beyond, is so empowering. 
Absolutely. I mean, that was really, if, if in the early 90s, neuroplasticity hadn't come to the mainstream um, science empirical review process, um, I don't know that I would have understood that I could heal myself. Um, like, like you said, it's recent. It wasn't really until the nineties where, where Dr. Michael Mersnick was doing all sorts of neuroplastic experiments with, um, macaque monkeys and, and, and people were experimenting with phantom limb syndrome approach where you could trick a mind into quieting an entire neural network of pain. Um, this was revolutionary because before that, um, you know, father of, neuroscience, Romani Cajal, at one time, they, they, they maintained that the brain was fixed. And that's a pretty limiting prescription. If you think, think about it, you mean my patterns can never be changed. I I'm so fortunate that I was born at a time where people were starting to discover neuroplastic capacity because it equals hope. Neuroplasticity is is the science word for hope. Uh, yes, yes. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak from my experience. Yet, I believe it's it's the experience of many other people that are listening to this podcast. My, I have a raging monkey brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I I have I've locked down my diet. I've locked down my exercise. Uh, my sleep is a little bit of a work in progress. But my final frontier has always been four years meditation because I, I cannot or I have a very difficult time calming my monkey brain. And if I do, it's in the evening and I immediately fall asleep and um, may or may not get the full benefit from the meditation. What I, what I enjoy and why I have taken a liking uh, tremendously to neurosculpting is, is that there is a lot of thought during the meditation, but as you said, you you're integrating each part of your brain during the meditation. You're thinking about the inner cells of your cheek or the space in between your toes or a made up animal or a color or spelling a word, even spelling a word backwards while you're meditating. And that has been a massive game changer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's interesting I'm going to use the analogy that I learned um, many years ago. It's kind of, um, I can't remember if it's Apache or not, but I learned this technique when I was at tracker school studying um, primitive survival skills. A great way to catch fish in a stream is to actually um, start putting sticks, embedding sticks um, vertically from the middle of the stream, almost like a little fence that Um, is separated, each stick is separated by quite a distance, and it slowly starts to angle itself towards the bank of the river or the stream. Um, And as it starts to angle itself, you put the sticks closer and closer together. So the fish don't get that they're being corralled. And that eventually they're just going with the current, but because you've directed it, they end up exactly where you want them to. And so you just go to the end point of that corral and the fish are in a pool waiting there for you. That's how I think of thoughts. 
where in the past I tried to stop the thoughts. That's like trying to imagine the fish are not there at all. I tried to have no thought again, like, you know, comparing it to fish in a stream, they're there. Um, I tried to chase them. Well, good luck with that. You know how slippery fish are. Um, so instead I applied this kind of analogy. What if I could follow them and gently create a framework to move them to a certain endpoint? So therefore, I don't have to stop my thoughts. I'm allowed to have them. Thank goodness I'm allowed to have them because I have way too many of them. And in a meditation, I was always frustrated like you. I couldn't turn my thoughts off. But with neurosculpting, we actually ask you to have thoughts. We give you permission to have them. We help you follow the current of those thoughts. We help you sort of notice where they embed themselves in your body. And then you just go to that source and you start addressing them from there. And that works with, with the flow of the current. Instead of us trying to be salmon swimming against the stream, trying to pretend our mind is not wanting to do what it wants to do, which is having thoughts. So a lot of neurosculpting incorporates, like you, my own frustration with this very um, lofty task of trying to clear your mind, never could do that quite so well. Um, so neurosculpting is mind active, visually active. You're even allowed to do it standing up or sitting down or laying down. There, there's not a dogma that goes with it. There's just the sequencing of the five steps embedded in the process. It's just a sequencing and you can do it wherever it works for you. Uh, there's also some tapping with your non-dominant hand. Is, is that a take mm -hmm. from like EFT or any kind of emotional freedom technique or is that some, am I just reaching for straws there? Well, I've, I have no exposure to EFT. I've not been trained in it, nor have I ever practiced it. So the answer there is not intentionally. Um, the reason, the science reason for tapping and with the non-dominant hand is twofold. One, um, at any moment of a perception that we want to remember, that's when we tap. The reason being, if the brain is focusing on a thought and we couple another experience experience with that thought. We boost the value of the thought to the brain because we're using more real estate. So for instance, if I smell something at the time of a profound thought, they're going to link. And that's why a smell can give you a flashback. Um, if you use a motor skill, like moving your hand, fingers, toes, during a profound experience, it will start to link. And with repetition, that motor motion will then evoke a recall of that perception. It's basically we're tapping because of Hebb's law of neuroplasticity, where we want unrelated neurological events to happen simultaneously over time, repeating them so that we link them. So we have extra doorways into that perception. So that's why we tap. Um, I don't know why EFT taps, but the reason we tap specifically with a non-dominant limb is because we can yet further boost the neuroplasticity of any moment if we create a sense of, ooh, that's interesting, to the brain. 
Now, using your dominant limb doesn't make your brain say, ooh, that's interesting. But using your non-dominant limb sparks a little bit of, oh, that's not what I would normally do. So we're maximizing the opportunity at a key perception to give ourselves triggers to go back to that perception when we need it. We're boosting the plasticity of it by bringing in sensory and motor cortex. We are boosting the plasticity of it by using non-dominant hand. And now any hand gesture you make at that moment and repeat over time will eventually hearken back to some kind of subconscious association with that perception. And that's how we help people exercise throughout the day without having time to meditate. You have time to make your hand gestures. Right. It's it's kind of akin to Pavlovian training, but you're doing it to yourself strategically so you have doorways in to your practice. Yeah, the, the concept of introducing sm smells and scents and essential oils during your meditation is um, unique and and. Uh, interesting and, and neurologically linking as well. So the whole, the whole process has been very fascinating to me. You know, with smell in particular, it's much easier to entrain to because the olfactory, uh, you know, locus of control is really only like one synaptic gap away from the emotional limbic center, fight or flight center. So the fastest way to map to a, a random trigger is through smell. Um, we suggest the tapping for one reason, not because it's better, but because what if you have been trained to calming yourself down to smelling lavender, but now you're in a situation and you don't have your lavender with you? Uh-oh. Now you might even get a little bit more anxiety because you don't have your go-to calming trigger. So there's, I love associating to smell, but, but in neurosculpting, we say associate to something that's always with you so you can always reach for it. It's like your comfort blanket when you make these hand gestures. Um, at home, I do entrain to smell as well, but I also simultaneously entrain to hand stuff or, or, um, or even arm folding because I know that I'll have those with me in a moment's notice if I need it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. and you so you could practice neurosculpting and simultaneously practice not maybe simultaneously, but also practice other forms of meditation as well. Correct? Absolutely. I have I still on occasion um go to my ascension techniques that I learned with the Ashaya monks um, back in the 90s. Um, it's a very different experience for me, uh, floating away, which is kind of, for me, um, that meditation form makes me feel very spacious and floaty. Um, and I predominantly use neurosculpting, but neurosculpting kind of affects a, a change and kind of has a strategy and a goal in mind. So sometimes neurosculpting can feel very productive. It can feel like accomplishment. It can feel like work. And every once in a while, I go to Ascension just so I have a lot of space and I don't need to heal anything in particular. So I do still use other forms, just not very often. Right. Now, you, you mentioned uh, you deal with a lot of stress-related issues, I think P, P, S, PTSD. Uh, how about t t 
what are your experiences working with those types of concerns and issues and with those people that are suffering from these ailments? You know, that's actually high trauma is my favorite place to be because I know those people feel hopeless. Um, so our, our practice in our school has a vast range of students. Everyone from I'm mildly stressed, I want to get over this, to, to, to self-development people who want to maximize their, their approach to life all the way to high, high trauma. Everything from traumatic brain injury to spinal cord injury to um, clinical depression and suicide and OCD and anxiety. And I have a lot of those clients. And quite honestly, the base is very similar. Um, they're in an inflamed stress loop, whereas you know most people are not in that kind of level of inflammation. So we start in the same place, which is helping them understand you're not broken. Your neurobiology, your neurobiology is in a very efficient loop. The loop just happens to not be good for you. So let's talk about the loop you're in. Let's talk about why your neurobiology put you there. Let's talk about why your thoughts feel the way they do because of this pattern. And then let's look physiologically at the pattern. Where does it show up in the central nervous system? How can we start making identification around it? Removing a therapeutic diagnosis because I'm not a therapist. So we remove the, you're broken, you're this, you're that. And we go to, you have a body. What is it doing? What is it doing? Because your mind is doing this pattern pattern. And we really take the stigma out of it. Um, so people really, um, are receptive to learning what their body and mind are doing with these patterns. And then the approach, obviously we tailor it to various degrees, but the five steps are the five steps. And those are the same for whether you come in just curious or you come in with anxiety the practice itself is going to follow those five steps because they support the brain best in breaking patterns. But we're going to take extra care with those high trauma people not to move them too fast, to have them really guide the, the speed of their discovery and their inquiry. We do not push anybody to their edge. In fact, if people need to just do the first two steps for three months because they're not ready to even look at their pattern, they just want to learn how to calm down, we stay there. So um, it's very client-student driven. And what are, what are your basic baseline recommendations for practicing neurosculpting? Um, the first thing is to uh, either read up about it or take a course um, so that you get some idea of what the five steps in the sequencing are. And then um, we have tons of audio. I recommend being guided through it. Uh, or if you like to guide yourself, I recommend once you take a course or read one of the books, you kind of script out your own meditation and record yourself saying it as though you were the guide and then meditate to your own voice. Guided meditation is a fantastic way to keep us on track and safe so that we don't get lost in perhaps slipping into a memory of any kind of trauma. So the self-guiding is the ultimate goal, but I like to do it with a lot of safe safety in, in mind. So I would say if you want to guide yourself through it, 
do it to a recording of yourself. So if you're lost in a memory or something, all of a sudden your voice will come back in and guide you on to the next thought. Um, so that's my recommendation. Right. And now I personally, for me, I, I'm blessed to be a part of a yoga studio and, um, right outside of New York city in Lynnhurst, New Jersey, that has a neuro sculpting class once, once a week on Monday evenings, which has been very helpful. And, uh, I am been a big fan of all of the, I use audible. Uh, I download multitude of books a week and I've downloaded several of your books and several of the different types of programs like neuroscoping for anxiety, neuroscoping mm-hmm. for stress. And, uh, and that's how I've been doing it, uh, lately. And that's, um, been very helpful for me. I think that's a great way to go. You know, anything that can be, um, a guide for you and a fallback in case you go down a path where you don't really like how it feels or what's going on. It's really helpful to have some guidance. Um, I remember when I was first learning about energy and playing with my energy and I had no guidance, I actually got a little bit sick and, uh, quite scared in having no understanding of my experiences. So the guidance is really helpful. And of course there's a ton on audible, a ton of neurosculpting there. Um, and a ton on our website, the neurosculptinginstitute.com has a really rich learning store of audio downloads and immersions in classes. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can start learning from home right now. And my ultimate goal, um, is to make this, uh, a self-driven practice for people so they don't have to rely on a teacher or a guru or a guide or me or any of our facilitators. This, this is for the people. And so taking one or two of those courses from your own home and then creating your own practice is really what I want for the world. And so everything is super accessible, no excuses. I've tried to, I've tried to circumvent all of your excuses to <laughs> learn this modality, and I've tried to make it ridiculously affordable. Now, uh, once a day, twice a day, as much as you need. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to set the expectation because not everybody has 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour to meditate a day. Um, honestly, the brain responds to frequency and repetition over duration. Let me explain that. If you have five hours over the course of a month, it is far better to go to the gym 10 times for a half hour each time than it is to go one day a month for five hours. The brain and the body work exactly the same in terms of learning. So less time, more frequency is way better for you to affect change. So don't get, don't beat yourself up if you only have 10 minutes a day, three times a week. That's far better than trying to do 30 minutes once a week. So when you, when, when you ask that question, I say it's up to the person. Every day is better than once a week. Three times a week is better than once a week. And shorter durations is better than longer if it helps you add frequency. I got to tell you a funny story. I listen. I listen to most of my audios on uh, two times speed or one point five times speed. So <laughs> I was doing. I was doing the, the initial uh, the initial neurosculpting uh, meditation. I was doing at one point five, and then I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. For a while, I'm sitting there. Wow, those are really fast meditations. And then I realized that like, is. Man, 
I said, man, I'm listening. And then I realized that. So, so I, when I, when I listen to the, everything, the preambles, and then when it gets to the meditation, I flip it back to one speed and been <laughs> talk you, about you, a go getter. Yeah. You are much better at one speed than 1.5 <laughs> speed. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had anyone tell me that that is, that's uh, a goal, right? You know, uh, if I could meditate faster than anybody, I wonder how much I would heal. That was funny, but that was a little funny revelation. So I think that's that's about all I got. I have one um, <clears throat> I have uh, one final question that I ask most people, or I ask at the end of every single podcast that I do for at least the last twenty five or so. Um, what is your daily rhythm routine uh, from waking to bedtime? What is what do you do, uh, or do you not have rhythms and routines? Are you just because uh, I'm at the point in my life where everything is very strict, regimented, and so yeah. on and so forth. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have full disclosure here. Full full disclosure. I would like a routine. <laughs> my goal is to have one, but the truth is I don't. Um, I put literally on my calendar meditation time and practice time, and then I wake up and something happens, and my daughter's carpool doesn't come and I have to take her to school. Well, that was my meditation time. So now I have to be okay with my schedule changing. So I start with a schedule in mind and a routine in mind, but I do not beat myself up if it has to move or change. But I absolutely know if I've gone too long without meditation because I'm not my best self. So I will make it a point to if I if I miss a day of meditation and that sometimes is only 10 minutes people I absolutely make sure I give something up tomorrow to put that 10 minutes of meditation in so the routine is a goal it is not a hammer or a punishment and it is in flux with real life and busy chaos <laughs> Well said. I've, I've enjoyed asking this question for the last several podcasts and I've, I've enjoyed the answers that I've gotten to. So mm -hmm. thank you. So, so you've mentioned You're it welcome. before the, uh, I mean, when we've mentioned it, the, the best w way to find out about neurosculpting is from your, the website, neurosculptinginstitute.com. Yes. It's, it's a rabbit hole of lots and lots of learning and articles and blogs and, um, all sorts of fun on things and the learning store is quite robust and extremely affordable um, audio download classes online self-paced immersions our warrior one immersion is absolutely it, it is the curriculum of new beliefs new brain um, and it is deep it's a 16-hour immersion but you can take it from home um, free classes at the very bottom of the learning store um, so there's really no excuse. We even have a Spanish library. So if you're, if you know, your first language is Spanish, well, we have that too. Um, so it's rich. Uh, it's a rich portal. We also have a community forum. We also even have a premium monthly membership, which is the biggest, really the biggest bang for the buck. Because um, as a member, you get an ongoing 20% discount off classes, but you get two live guided events a month. So every month I guide a live meditation and then we do a special topics call and you don't even have to attend it because I give it to you for the playback. So to have a practice where you're going to get a monthly meditation that you can engage with all month long 
has been really beneficial for our, our community members. That's great. That's great. Do you have any last words for our audience, Lisa? Um, yeah, no, no matter what is going on, no matter how scary and how hopeless it is, the brain is resilient. The brain will eventually shift your emotions and your perspective. So not to lose hope, but to be vigilant in finding a practice that works for you. Change is always, always an option. Well said. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, my name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer, your co-host, and you are listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. If you'd like what you've heard today, please share this with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe on iTunes. Better yet, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. It helps us uh, move up the charts and helps more people hear us. You can sign up for our incredible weekly email at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com. Thank you. And as my oldest son, Hayden, says, be awesome and never unawesome. Thank you. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoy, your co-host, and you're listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please share this with your friends and family. Encourage them to subscribe on iTunes. Thank you. And as my oldest son, Hayden, says, be awesome and never unawesome. So here's some more specifics. Our August supplement of the month is Vitamin C Boost. It is a blend of vitamin C, both as ascorbic acid and in the natural food source, the acerola cherry. Vitamin C is crucial for immune function and collagen production. It can help you sleep by lowering cortisol at night and is particularly important for cigarette smokers. We've added in grapeseed extract, glutathione, and zinc to truly make this a one-of-a-kind vitamin C supplement. For the entire month of August, if you use the code lowercase B-O-O-S-T-10, boost 10. You will receive 10% off this incredible new formulation. You can pick it up at our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com or if you're local, you can pick it up at the office. Just mention the code. The August book of the month is The Serpent and the Butterfly, The Seven Laws of Healing by Dr. Ben Reeves. This is a really profound, easy book to read. You can listen to Dr. Mike interview Dr. Ben on the July 20th BYWG podcast. Our highlighted program for August is from our friend, soul-inspired girl, Dr. Laura Foster. The program is called Reclaim Your Voice, and the 15% discount code for our listeners is capital B-Y-W-G. Reclaim Your Voice is a 21-day online series for women who seek to speak their absolute truth with more confidence, courage, and conviction. The program begins August 10th. The link will be in the podcast show notes and weekly emails. Included will also be an invitation for female listeners to join the private Facebook group called Soul Inspired Girl, a space for heart-led women. And mind you, girl is not spelt with an I, it's spelt with a U. Thanks for listening, and as always, be awesome and never unawesome.